Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 38 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I am delighted to be talking with Patrick Doyle, a counselor and speaker who some of you may know from the Dove Channel's YouTube videos. Patrick has over 30 years of experience working with people from all over, in treatment centers, churches, and through his office. His authentic transparency comes from his own story of emotional and physical abuse, and as a public speaker and coach, he takes difficult conversations head-on, communicating hard truths with honesty and safety. This episode ended up being an hour long, but it is an incredible interview with many light bulb moments, and I'm super excited to present it to you right now. Let's dig in. Welcome to the Flying Free Podcast, Patrick. Thank you so much for coming on here. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm grateful for what you're doing. Well, back when I was going through my own separation and divorce, I think I watched your Dove TV YouTube videos at least 9,745 <laughs> times. <laughs> and I would often watch the same ones over and over again because I was trying to deprogram from all these lies that I believed my entire life. And it really kind of takes a lot of repetition of the truth to replace the lies that you kind of just knee jerk fall into. Well, so, and, you know, I've, I've heard that many times, Natalie, from, from folks who watch the videos that they watch them repeatedly. Yeah. And, um, a couple of questions. One is I'd like to know why you felt like that was helpful. And the other is, is that when you talk about the lies in most cases, the women that are watching those videos also have those lies that are galvanized or made real by religious lies. So yes. it also becomes about God. So to hear somebody who represents God, you know, with some level of authority, like I think I do in those videos, yes. to say something other is kind of um, revolutionary. Well, and that you hit the nail on the head. It was the spiritual, because I was very steeped in fundamentalism my whole life. And it was, those, it was the spiritual th side of things that had me stuck. I could not break free from some of those, because, you know, I was told, well, the Bible clearly says that this is the way it is. And yet that didn't always coincide with what I was experiencing in my real life. Right. Well, you know, often I say this, you know, <clears throat> if we take the Puritans, for example, um, they believe that uh, sex was only for, for procreation. And then after that, they slept in separate rooms as to not tempt them, as to not to tempt themselves. Right. And wow. they justified that with the Bible. Yeah. Like if you told somebody that, they'll be, well, that's wrong. Well, clearly they also justified the genocide of the Indians with the Bible, but that's a whole nother podcast. But <laughs> my point is, is that, but the same people that are telling you from the Bible, this is the truth will say that the Puritans are wrong, but never think that they could be right. And so they justify their position by twisting scripture or using it as a hammer or using it as something to cage you rather than free you. Right. Um, and I can tell you from uh, being in the church 30 years uh, and, you know, having planted a church and been a pastor, you know, I have done that to people. 
So I understand it from that perspective as well. So when I talk about that, I think it's also, there's some, there's some spiritual embedding that people get that I understand that because I've been on both sides of it. Um, and you're right. I see it all the time, Natalie, that the, uh, the spiritual side is what makes uh, women stay in these bad situations way longer than if they didn't have that. Yep. And you, so you were one of the first people that was able to validate my real life experience, but also address my, my faith. You know, how do I implement my faith and what I believe about God and the word of God into my real life experience in such a way that there's not all this cognitive dissonance? Yes. Yes. And that, that is a huge, um, that to me is a doorway, um, for freedom but it also opens up a whole nother Pandora's box. When you start to say those things to the people who are trying to give you the dogma to stay, you put relationships at risk. Yes. And that is a great segue into our topic for today. Did you do that on purpose? I did. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely beautiful. Okay. You are a professional, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I've done this a time or two. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, um, so what I thought we'd talk about in this podcast episode is that betrayal that these women experience when they step forward to take action on behalf of themselves. Because they, it seems, you know, in Christian circles, it's okay if you're taking action on behalf of someone else, like your abuser. Yeah. You can, you know, you can have compassion and love and forgiveness, but if you try to stand up for yourself and have compassion and love and forgiveness for yourself, then you're going to get attacked by your church, your family, your friends, your kids, if you've got older kids, and of course, more attacks from your abuser. And this is honestly, the women I've talked to have said, this is worse than the original abuse. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Well, you know, so I would... I would say that a little differently. I totally agree with what you're saying, but I don't think it's that a woman stands up for herself. I don't think that's the, the uh, activating agent of the uh, pushback. Uh, I have a belief that, <clears throat> so in these situations, let's just say, uh, you know, a woman is going to stand up against her abuser, set a boundary and move out and uh, separate. And the family of the church family or the people around her have a theological belief that that is wrong. What activates their pushback is the fact that what she's doing makes them uncomfortable because they can't collate it to their belief structure. Yes. Okay. And as a result of that, then they start the abusive blaming. Well, you're wrong because you're not following the scriptures when really the whole whole thing is about them being uncomfortable. And so what I see all the time is that they care more about their own comfort than they do the person that's suffering. Yes. But no one's talking about that because they're hiding behind a cloak of righteousness or helpfulness or goodness or biblical uh, truth or whatever other uh, stuff you want to say <laughs> that they're using. But it has nothing to do with the reality of the situation. They're trying to stay within their own belief structure. So those problems and the reason why it gets so vicious is because they believe they're doing what God wants them to do 
And that's their own structure of denial that they use to protect themselves from reality. Yes. I was thinking of Saul when you said that, you know, how Saul, Saul, the one who became Paul, yeah, mm -hmm. he had this great passion for truth and the Bible and all mm -hmm. that, but it led him to persecute Christians. Yeah. Well, but you see, Paul at least was congruent. Okay. Like he thought that what the Christians were doing or the way people, whatever you want to say they were, but he thought that they were destroying God's religion. The one that was given down by the, the ancestors and all that. An interesting uh, thing that I don't think we talk much about in the church, but when God confronted Paul on, or Saul on the road to Damascus, I think it's very interesting what he said. What God said to Saul was, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, that was a newsflash to Saul because he thought he was saving God's religion. Yeah. So what God did was personalized it. Like, no, no, no. You're persecuting me. These are my people. Stop it. Instead of, that's a great example of these people are per 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 persecuting the woman and God saying, why are you persecuting me? Yes, exactly. So, so oh, go ahead. So in, 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 that, in that situation, it's they, they, um, they're using the same religious denial that Saul used. And God's confrontation was to get Saul to see that that's, it was about him persecuting God. Yeah. Well, that, well, well, look at what that led to. That led to Paul's life being completely destroyed as he knew it. Right. Which is what's going to happen to us. That system will not change. Yeah, but it has to. I mean, it, in order to advance the true kingdom of God, that old system has to change. People, well, do you know yeah, what I'm saying? I, I do, but, but what I'm saying is that it's been around for centuries. This, this problem has existed for centuries. So what I, want, what I want to suggest is instead of you trying to change the system in your current, I mean, let's just take, say a lady who's listening is in this situation. Instead of trying to change the system, save your energy and try to uh, take care of yourself is what I would say, because sp spending energy on the system when you're in this um, process of coming out is, is it, you can't afford that energy. Right. Oh, the absolutely. Energy, the energy has to be focused on yourself and maintaining care for yourself because everybody around you is trying to destroy you, whether they know that's what they're doing or not. Right. And, and you know what? That's a really, really good point because I, I actually did this and I still see women doing, they'll tell me that they're doing this where they'll say, yeah, I set up a meeting with my, uh, you know, church elders <laughs> and, you know, they already don't agree with my separation or divorce, but I set up a meeting with them so I could try to explain to them what they need to see. Right. And I tried to do that too. They're not going to see it. I mean, if they right. let the Holy Spirit show it right. to them, because well, the Holy Spirit has way more power than we do. Absolutely. But the, the, the pathology that's embedded in trying to explain is codependent. Yeah. Which is what we're taught in the church is that if you could just get it, let me think about it. If I can just get you to believe in Jesus, everything gets better for you. Right, right. So that is embedded in our culture. 
So we're trying to convince the elders to believe in Jesus that it'll be all right, you know, you know metaphorically speaking. But I, my saying is this, don't try to understand, take a stand. Amen. And so when you start focusing your energy on taking the stand and trying, instead of trying to get everybody to understand, you start to make more progress. Yes. But, but the idea to get them under, to understand is also embedded in us because we want to make other people comfortable. And I'm just telling you right now, that's not going to work for you if you want to get out of an abusive relationship right. in the church. You're you have, have to be uncomfortable yourself and also be okay with everybody around you being super uncomfortable. Yes. And I believe that you taking a stand and telling the truth is the absolute most loving thing you can do for the people around you. Yep. And the, and and the, the lie is that loving people means everybody's okay. Right. But that's a lot. The yep. truth, as my grandmother used to say, only hurts when it needs to. And, mm. and some folks got a whole lot of hurting to do. <laughs> yes. Well, and the other thing too is when I, when I mentioned before that, you know, it has to, the system has to change. I really believe that the way the system is going to change is by people, by women and men rising up and saying no more for themselves, because the more there, I know tons of women who don't even go to, including me, who don't even go to church anymore. Well, that is a statement. That's a statement that says, no, we don't support that kind of we don't support that anymore. Now, I'm not knocking every church, okay? I know there's some listeners who have amazing churches, and I, yeah. I and praise God for that. And if you can find a great church, do it. But, but I'm just saying that the more that we stand up and take care of ourselves and take care of one another, we are advancing the kingdom of God in this world. That's what Jesus did. He didn't, he wasn't, he didn't become a member of a synagogue. He was yeah. out in the, he was out with the people. He was out drinking and partying with the disciples. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Water into wine and, and, you know, hanging out with women who were, you know, prostitutes. And, yeah, you know, all that stuff. He was completely outside of the cultural norm of yeah. his religion. Yeah. And so, but I, what I want to do is help women appropriately assign the blame. Okay. We, Remember, toxic shame is the result of misplaced blame. And the church is a factory for toxic shame. Yeah. Okay. So the healing of shame, toxic shame, is the appropriate assigning of blame. And when you start doing that, as you come out, people are going to really, really push back to get you to go back to your old role of taking the blame for everyone. Yeah. Being quiet about it and liking it. So as you move through that, it's really hard to look at your pastor or your elders and say, you guys are wrong. Even though they're, you know, dumping Bible verses on you. How do you argue with that? Right. That's what I mean. I don't think arguing with it is the right approach. I think you remove yourself from it. Yeah. You take the stand, you remove yourself from it. And look, when they come, when they come knocking, asking, why and what about and how come? And you're like, <clears throat> I always encourage, encourage women to develop <clears throat> a mantra. You're like, you say the same thing every time. I have decided to leave my husband because of his abuse or, you know, I'm no longer willing to 
you know, submit to the church's authority because I disagree with it, but no details. Yes. <clears throat> and then every time you ask, it's the same thing, like a broken record. Um, and that keeps you out of that minutia of people trying to convince you and you having to explain yourself. It's just exhausting. It is. It's exhausting and it goes absolutely nowhere. Don't even try it. Don't even try. I know I did. Well, I, I would, I would say it, it, it doesn't go anywhere. It goes somewhere very painful. Right. There you go. Yep. I mean, I wish, I mean, I think, but I know what you're saying now is it it doesn't resolve anything, Mm -hmm. but it does make the hole deeper. Because those people don't care. They're doing what they believe God wants them to do, and they're saving the world. Meanwhile, you're being crushed. Yeah, well, exactly. And they actually start thinking of you as being more crazy. Because the more you get defensive and try to explain, the the worse they view you. I mean, they already have this bias towards women. I really do believe they do. That women are, you know, on a on a even basic foundational level that women are the reason that there's sin in the world, you know? And so yeah. women are the cause of tripping up men into lusting after them. We're the cause of tripping up men into getting angry. We're the cause. Everything is our fault. God, so, forbid, God forbid men take responsibility for their lust. Right. Right. And so that, that they already have this predisposition to think that way. And then here you are, dancing around, you know, and yelling, I mean, not, re- not really, but figuratively right. speaking, you know, and defending yeah. yourself. And they're like, yep. Mm-hmm. So I knew that. Do, I knew that about her. So do you see how that church environment actually absolutely duplicates the abusive relationship? Yeah. They it push does. And push, You're exactly they push, right. and they push and they push and they push. And then finally the person loses it. And then everybody's pointing at them like, see, look, they're out of control. Like, well, yep. but no one's talking about the fact that for six months you've been badgering me about this thing. Or you've been telling me that I'm a terrible, evil soul because I want to protect myself from being harmed, even though you don't agree with my harm, because obviously I'm making that up. And I want to destroy my life by making this up and coming to the church. Yeah, right. <laughs> and people often ask me, you know, a woman will talk to me. And, and of course, I've talked to, you know, lots and lots of abused women and I, I can finish their sentences. I've heard the story many times yeah. and um, they, uh, they often wonder how I can believe them without ever talking to their husband. <laughs> right. Right. I'm like, I don't know. I've met your husband a thousand times. He's the same guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> same movie, different theater. Yep. Totally. So this, is, so this is the other thing I want to point out in this area that I think is important to understand. And, <clears throat> it's a word I use a lot that people don't always understand, but I, w- I want to keep using it because I want to breathe life into it. And that is the word pathology. <clears throat> These men have pathology. And then being under that abuse creates pathology in you. And here's the crazy part. The church, because of their unhealthy belief structure, has pathology. Yep. And what I mean by pathology is like, if I go to the doctor and he takes my blood, and I have a blood sugar of 800, we have evidence of my diabetes, right? And mm-hmm. diabetes has a pathology. It's going to go from point A to point B every time, no matter what, because that's what the diabetes does, unless it's interrupted with some sort of medical intervention, right? So mm-hmm. people have emotional and spiritual pathology. And the church has 
pathology based on his theology. So if you go to, uh, I mean, we talked about before, Natalie, like the Bill Gothard thing. I mean, that I, I understand that pathology. I could talk to somebody who's steeped in that, and I know what they're going to say before they say it. Yeah. Right? And so each church, um, this might be a little bit off subject, but I think it might be valuable. Um, do you know how many denominations are in America? No. There's over 30,000. Oh, my word. Right. Here's the crazy part. They're all claiming the same thing. We have they're right. <laughs> right. A, but more specifically, we're right because we have the truth of God from the Bible. Yes. Okay. Well, clearly at 30,000, that can't be true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the facts are shedding some light on the fact that that can't happen. <clears throat> so what I, the way I explain it is, is like, you have Coke and Pepsi, right? You basically have the same product with two different brands. Very nuanced differences, right? Uh-huh. So what you have in the church is 30,000 brands, variations of a theme. So if I'm a Pentecostal and I go to a Presbyterian church, we're both on the same team, right? We're both Christians, mm-hmm. but... The, Pre- the Presbyterians are not going to let me into leadership as a Pentecostal. Right. They're not going to let me have influence until I come into conformity with their belief structure. Yep. Right? Yep. And so vice versa. Pentecostal church invites the Presbyterian. Well, not until you speak in tongues and get baptized in the Spirit, Right. And you go to the Presbyterian church and it's like, well, not until you get your theology right and you read your dead authors, then okay. But so they all, they both have their own way to solve the problem. And that's what I would call the brand of Jesus. Mm-hmm. With me? Yep. So it's brands. Yep. So if somebody comes to me and they say, yeah, I'm a, I come from a fellowship church and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I understand that church's theology and then I can understand what they're going to say before they say it because I know what their beliefs are. Yeah. Right? So instead of trying to understand and alter that, recognize it and use it as navigational information. So describe how, how you would use that as navigational information on a practical level. Okay, so I, I, a Pente- let's just take, for example, a Pentecostal woman comes to me. Right. And I understand the frame of reference that that church has. She goes to meet with her pastor. I, I kind of already understand what he's going to tell her. Like, you don't have enough faith. You need to pray more. You know, you need to ask the spirit to move and change your husband because, you know, God can do anything and he'll radically heal him and everything be better. But really, it hinges on whether or not you have enough faith. Yeah. Right. Yep. Which would be very different than if you went to a Southern Baptist pastor or a fellowship pastor. You know, there's so there's all these different brands. So we, so if we just say it's Christianity, we miss the point because there's variations. And so that's why I talk about it. it has to be very like context specific for that woman. Mm. So just because you say you're a Christian doesn't give me enough information. I need to know the brand. <laughs> <laughs> very interesting. Because I have to understand the context of what you're, what theological structure and belief structure that you're living in. And right. then I can help you navigate it. And, yeah. and fortunately for me, 30 years in the church and had, having had, you know, five or six major theological belief structures and been part of 
I was a Pentecostal. I was a Calvinist. I was an Arminian. I was, I mean, I've been a lot of things and I have a lot of knowledge about all of that, you know, under the, behind the curtain, you know, information. Um, and I, again, that's really helpful to enable a woman to, to use that information to navigate healthily instead of get run over by it. Yeah. And, and what you said earlier, I think, is a key principle, which is that understanding that because you're a woman does not mean you're inferior. Right. And I would say this. There's no way that God created half of his creation to be left out. Right. That's well, insane. so... When and our topic of betrayal, it, how this relates back to that too is that we're you as a you know let's say that I'm speaking to a person who's listening to this right now, right. you as an individual are not being betrayed as an individual personally. You're actually just when your church rejects you or like I was excommunicated from my church, they were basically just I didn't fit in like you're saying, Patrick. I didn't yeah. fit into their theology, and so I I had to be given the boot. Right. So what you're describing though, is something that uh, this is a strong belief I have. And this is comes from lots of experience that the basis for modern Christianity is conformity of belief. Mm. So when you get somebody, when you evangelize somebody, what are you doing? You're getting them to believe something. Do you believe in Jesus? Mm -hmm. Right. And that, Believing in Jesus depends on the brand. Right. Right. But it's about you believing the right things. That's, that's insane. Like God's going to make his, his eternal decision on who I am based on what I believe. Yeah. And listen, nobody with Jesus understood it right. No one with Jesus that was hanging out with him believed right. No one even understood what, what he was even saying. Right. So, I'm pretty sure that didn't matter to God. Right. But we've built a whole modern church system on conformity of belief. And the church that you were in, I happen to know which one that is, is one of the, you know, clearing examples of religious BS. Mm -hmm. That you have to have this very specific belief structure. And they believe that if you don't, you're apostate or outside of the pale of orthodoxy or whatever term they want to put on it yep and then as a result of that they that is justification for them to sever fellowship yep and i wish i could say that i've never done that to anyone but mm -hmm. i've behaved just like that so i understand it and i understand from a personal perspective why it's so important to them so i say that without judgment but i'm also not going to act like it's not happening right so i don't well, have judgment for that as much as I used to, but I'm working on it. Well, and the difference too is I've, I've been, I've done the same thing, not in a position of leadership, but just as a woman working with other women back when I was in my fundamental years. But the thing, yeah. the, the difference though, is that you were searching and looking and eventually open to the truth and learning, you know, so there, there is a difference. I mean, I hope that those other people, I, the ones who <laughs> will come around someday, I, but I, I don't know, but because Natalie, I don't know that I was open. Um, I'll tell you the story the way I see it is that so one of my favorite rap artists, he has a, a line in his song that says, I was a drug baby. Big Mama drug me to church every Sunday. <laughs> 
I so, that. I do too. So I feel like I'm where I'm at because I'm a drug baby. Mm. Like God drugged me here. I did not have the willingness. And it was like profoundly difficult for me to, to, to accept what I was being revealed, what was being revealed to me. I mean, when you, when you go all in on a belief structure and then you're preaching it, and then somebody looks at you and says, you're wrong. And you're like, no, I'm not wrong. And you give them the 18,000 reasons why you're right. And then you start to realize that you're wrong. And I've done this on four, <laughs> over the years, four major theological belief structures where I've had to repent of them. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, That's, that was the whole problem, is that you have to have a conformity of belief instead of a relationship. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith in destructive relationships called Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can actually read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first three chapters of my book free if you want to hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those three chapters are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. Now, let's get back to our episode. God reveals himself as a relational being. It's not about belief. There's three individual people, if we take the revelation of Scripture seriously, there's three individual people living in harmony relationally and in mutuality as one. That's the example of God revealing himself. So relationship is the core reality of spiritual life, not belief. Amen. That's what's changed for me is it's no longer about belief. So if you believe that, um, you know, Jesus was a lion and that he gave uh, Moses a ride on his back and that's how you get saved. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> let's have a relationship. I don't care what you believe. We'll yeah. get to that later. But if we make belief the fulcrum, all we can do is divide, which is why there are 30,000 denominations. Right. Well, praise God that he, that he, that you're a drug baby. <laughs> For real. Because, <laughs> because look at the ministry that you have now and the way that you're able to understand all of the nuances and the ins. I mean, abuse is a very complex, very multi-layered thing. Absolutely. And because of your experience and your history, even as a child, you, God has like per, really put together in you someone who's really able to, to, like like a surgery like a surgeon you know yes. go right to where you need to go yes. in order to get to the heart of the yes. pathology that's going on in someone's life it's so true and you know this is the other thing i would encourage the ladies with is that like i used to look back at my life and i, I had this you know like the first church i went to as a 17 year old was a non-denominational offshoot of chuck smith calvary chapel and um you know I went all in, man. I mean, I was an abused kid and these people loved me and I, I was all in. And so I just, just drank down everything they said and I didn't question anything. And, and then years later, I started to do my own research, started to read theology books and started to read the Bible more. And I started to realize that the guy that was teaching was giving us a very narrow slice of what history says is true. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And so I got disturbed about it. And then I eventually left the church, which is a really difficult thing to do because everybody thought I was, you know, they're like, oh, it's fine. You can go to another church. But then when you do that, you're, you're, a, you're a persona non grata, like you're doing the wrong thing and you're believing wrong. Um, and so years later, I look back on that. I used to be like all mad, like, God, like, why did you put me in that church where they didn't teach the truth? And not, now I know the truth. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the revelation from God to me spiritually was don't despise what I used to bring you to where you're at. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, the fact is, I believe that God knew that the reason why I was at that church was because it was the only one at that time in my life I wouldn't run from. If the church there has been this thing that theologians call the, they call it progressive revelation, which is that's how it works. God continually reveals himself because you can't understand it all anyway. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you go, if you move from theological belief structure as the fulcrum to relationship, which is the example I think you see in Jesus, because he didn't have theological discussions mm-hmm. with people. And I think if I don't remember exact numbers, but I think that Jesus was asked 185 questions in the new Testament and he answered five of them directly. Interesting. It wasn't about truth the way we think of it today. Right. It was about relationship. It was about connection. It was about Emmanuel, God with us, not God teaching us the truth so we can have eternal security. Right. Sorry. Well, and, and that's the, the, golden, the golden rule is, you know, to love God and then to love people. That's all about relationship. You know, my kids, I just ha- sometimes I'll have these conversations with my kids about salvation and stuff. And back in the day, that, when must, I was, that must be interesting with the journey you've been on. <laughs> oh, to, well, it's changed over the years because of back course. when, you know, they would say, well, am I really a Christian? Am I really a Christian? And I would go over the steps again. Well, you have to make sure you do this and this and this. And yes, they, those older kids now, I mean, I've repented and we've had conversations that have changed um, what I originally taught them, but um, they grew up really just fearful about their salvation yes. and fearful about whether or not God was going to save them. With yeah. my younger kids, when they bring that up and they're scared, I just tell them, all I tell them is, Jesus loves you so much. You don't need to be scared. When it, when, when it comes to Jesus, he's mm-hmm. just got his arms around you and you don't need to be scared. You can trust him. I'm mm-hmm. trying to teach them to trust Jesus. <clears throat> well, Instead of being scared. Yeah. I realize, you know, that how do you, how do you, um, how do you make relationship theologically make sense? Right. You can't. Well, because it's, it's so, there are so many things that come up in relationships that have no rules. Exactly. So here's something I want the ladies to understand as they're moving through this process. And, um, and that is this, uh, so why is religion so appealing throughout the centuries? Why do humans gravitate to religion? Well, my belief is that they gravitate to religion because it offers a promise of certainty. If I yeah. do X, and then I'm going to definitely get Y. It's yep. a guarantee, right? So the religion is then my doorway to having exactly what I want the way I want it. And it's a system that I can operate in and and get where I need to go. Right. Right. Well, 
it doesn't take you very long to live to realize that's not true. You know, I've talked to many families who they went to church and they took their kids to Sunday school and they prayed and they read the Bible and they, and their kids still ended up gay. Yeah. Or somebody got molested or somebody walked away from the faith or somebody got a divorce. Something terrible still happened, mm-hmm. even though they did it all right. So the, 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 the promise of a guaranteed outcome is a lie. Mm-hmm. And so what Jesus promises is not a guaranteed outcome. What he promises is withness. Yes. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. That's and right. to me, what I've learned is that's a heck of a lot more valuable than having it right. Because that's not even possible. Like, I don't understand the universe. I, I mean... The fact that as a church, we're arguing about the age of the universe is ridiculous to me. Like, let's just face it. Nobody knows. Right. Not the greatest theologian, not the greatest scientist. It's a mystery. No one was there. God ain't giving us out that information. Just live in the mystery. Instead of trying to divide from each other, let's just talk about it. Like, you can have a belief that it's a bazillion years old. Okay, fine. I don't have to get all freaked out. And the reason why is because I don't have to protect God or the Bible. He's completely capable of doing that himself. I don't need to make sure that you see it as the inerrant word of God. Mm-hmm. I don't really care. I, I care about you. What, 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 where are you at? And I'll trust God to reveal whatever he needs to reveal to you instead of me being the one who has to do it. Well, and here, here's the beautiful thing about that too, is it, it answers the problem of pain also. Because now you're not, when you pray to God, you know, take away this bad thing or make sure that none of my kids die in a car accident or make sure that, you know, Jesus, please help me not to have bad dreams tonight or whatever. Yeah. You're not then when, when it doesn't happen, your child is killed in a car accident. You do have a bad dream that night. You don't have to go, oh, well, God's not there. Where are you, God? You didn't come through for me because he has not, like you said, he hasn't promised a specific outcome. He's promised to be with you. And in the same way, when other people are suffering, we don't try to, we don't try to solve their problems for them by telling them no. if you do X, Y, and Z, then this great thing will happen. We sit, we are with, we walk through life with them. And if the church was doing that, these women would not be rejected. They would, the churches would be doing the will of God. They would be behaving in in a Christ-like manner. Yes. And the world would be, the world which craves relationship, craves connection, love, and acceptance would be coming, you know, would be running a million miles per hour in the direction, well, a lot of them would be, in the direction of the church instead of what it is right now, which is running a million miles per hour in the opposite direction. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. (laughs) You catch a lot more flies with honey than vinegar. Yeah. Okay, you know what, though, Patrick? We've completely gone off topic. That's my specialty. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, if you don't mind, I mean, this can be a longer podcast episode. Are you okay with going for another 15 minutes? Yeah, sure. Okay. Cause I would kind of like to address, well, I I really do want to address the whole betrayal thing. Cause I know this is an issue that women deal with. So I'm wondering, um, well, let's just, let's just talk about the practical, the practicalities of betrayal because okay. you have, when people when you're being betrayed by everybody in your life i mean you might right. have a, you, you know a person here and there that's really amazing but yes. for the most part there's a lot of people that are disagreeing with you 
And some of them are just going to write you off and just go, "Ah, I don't even want to have anything to do with you anymore. Your kids can't play with my kids. Home. But then other people will be like, well, I want to, you know, I just love you so much. Let's go up there so I can tell you all the things that you could maybe do differently so that your life is better. And, you know, so they're, that's not love by the way. No, no. So how do you, what, what do these women do though? They're, they are scrambling trying to save their relationships. What should they be doing instead? Practically speaking. So two, two guiding principles I would really encourage. One is, be willing, work at being willing to appropriately assign responsibility, first and foremost. <clears throat> and then when you do that, that's going to usher you right into the process of grief. Like this relationship is untenable. That person doesn't have the capacity to care for me. They've turned on me. They've rejected me. They've abandoned me. They said I'm wrong or they're unhealthily trying to help me. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. So as you appropriately assign the blame, which is going to heal you, you also then have to do the work of grief. And I'm just saying this. I'm going to keep saying this. I strongly believe this. Grief is the doorway to freedom. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you don't grieve the loss, it continues to have power over you. Because you keep trying to make it work. When you let it go and you grieve it, it can't touch you like it did before. So what does that grief process look like? So the person in your church who used to be your friend, and you know, I, I, can, I can give you multiple examples of this in my own life, who you had a deep relationship with and even deeply trusted. Um, you make a decision to separate from your husband or you make a decision to divorce or deal with this abuse, and suddenly they believe you're wrong. And nothing that you did prior to that decision seems to matter. You go from a trusted friend to persona non grata over one decision. Exactly. Okay, now, in that scenario, who's at fault? Well, what happens is the person that's making the decision to, you know, deal with the abuse, they've been trained for years by an abuser to take responsibility. Mm Mm-hmm. So very quickly, when their friend, who they trusted, who they felt trusted by, starts to blame them, it's a really difficult reality to not take that on. But instead, like I said before, instead of trying to understand, take a stand. If that person, listen, starts to go down that road, and listen, I believe that sometimes with this boundary setting, the pendulum has to swing a little far, like, A lot of people who don't necessarily deserve a boundary get one because that's all the only way I can handle it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So give yourself space on that. You're not going to do this appropriately. You're not going to, you're not going to, it's not going to be clean. You're not going to do it right. Don't worry about that. Just do it. So once you make that decision that I'm going to make this boundary, then the person that you cared about and cared about you turns on you. You got to let that be their responsibility And then you got to start grieving the loss of the relationship. I'm sad that that person turned on me and I'm going to let the tears out. Again, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes, tears are the blood of the soul. You have to start to let that out. And in an abusive relationship, you're, you're trained to be emotionally um, suppressed. 
Don't allow your emotions out. Don't deal with them. Pretend they don't exist. Anyway, what you perceive is wrong anyhow, so it's your fault. So you have all that training. So any level of grieving over the people that you bounder is a healthy thing. But I want to remind your, everyone that, listen, these things happen in percentages. It's not either or. If I grieve 0.05%, I'm going to have a radical life change. Okay? I'm not going to do it 100%. That's not even possible. So get rid of that expectation on yourself that you're going to do it right or do it 100%. If, like I, I say it all the time, if you take one out of 10 chances and, and, and grieve, we're moving in the right direction. It's about progress, not perfection. Amen. Okay? But in the church system, in an abusive system, perfection from whatever angle that the person's using it is the goal. And if you fail, then, then it justifies their abuse of you. So to grieve is to let go of the expectations. It's to let go of the dream you had about that relationship. It's to let go of the desire to fix it. It's to let it be dead and grieve the pain of it. Yep. Okay. And I'm, I'm just telling you that if you don't grieve, those folks will have a higher level of control and you will do more internal spinning because you'll have all this conflict. Because once you start to see the abuse and set a boundary, conflict is what's going to happen. Right. I, and and I that conflict to... is actually good. Yeah. I Contrary had how it feels. I had read once that um, if you... Oh, I lost my turn of thought. I'll have to edit that part out. Keep going. <laughs> Sorry. I, I had it and then it was gone. I wish I had never had that happen to me. <laughs> Maybe we'll leave this in. I think we're going to leave this in. <laughs> I, think, I think it's exactly what we're talking about. You're not going to do it perfectly. That doesn't exactly. exist. Exactly. And I'm just telling you from my own perspective, in the mess of failure is where I've found the face of God the most. Yes. Well, and don't you learn? I, I feel like every t- I, it takes me a lot of, ch- it takes me a lot of, uh, I have to have a lot of opportunities that I fail before I finally get it right. But right. I feel like every time, every time I made a mistake with a, in a relationship that was rejecting me, cause I, re- I was, <laughs> did everything you said. I took responsibility. I would say I was sorry. I would try to figure out what I did wrong with all of my relationships. And every single time I did that, I discovered that um, you know, I would see the mistake that I made and then I would correct it the next time a little bit more. And I got really, really good at it until eventually I realized these relationships, um, I have to let go of them. They, they did lose their power. Once I decided to not pursue that person anymore, I thought it was my responsibility to pursue them because that's what Christians do. They pursue and relationships are really important but it takes two people pursuing one another in a relationship. It can't be just one person or one person saying, well, I'll be in relationship with you as long as you believe what I believe, do what I do, think what I think. And that's um, not a relationship. That's a contract. Right. So, I mean, I've lost, and a lot of these women have gone through the same thing. I have lost, I lost my oldest son. I lost my family of origin. 
I lost some very good friends of mine that were at the church that I was excommunicated from. Yeah. Now there are a lot of people I didn't lose, but those were the one, those were the relationships that were, you know, devastating. I mean, that I have had to grieve over, but what, but I got, you get better at it. I mean, it's sad, but you, you get better at realizing, okay, I love this person with all my heart, but I can't do this anymore. And I'm going to say goodbye. And even, you could even do a ritual, you know, you could, you could make a, you could buy a special thing that represents them and bury it in your backyard or bury it in a beautiful place in nature, you know, some kind of ritual to help you symbolize the fact that that relationship is over now and go through the grieving process. Right. Right. And, you know, I just would like to reiterate that you letting those relationships go is actually very loving of those people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the best way to love them. Well, it's respecting. I viewed it as respecting their right and their choices to believe the way they want to believe and the fact and respecting that I don't fit into that. And that's okay. Exactly. I'm okay for not fitting into that. And they're okay. I mean, you know, I mean, it hurts. And I, and personally, I think that if I think that what they're doing is wrong, but, but they have a right. I'm okay with their right to make that choice if they want to. Mm -hmm. Yes. And like I said, that's respectful and loving and the breach of the relationship and the pain of it may be, may be the very thing that the spirit uses to reveal to them the truth about what's happened. Perhaps. But chasing them certainly won't. No. And that goes, that kind of goes against all of our training, right? We're not supposed to let people go. We're supposed to save everyone. Well, that's not the example I see Jesus giving us. Right. Well, and if you don't hold up those boundaries, and if you don't hold up those, <clears throat> if you don't set, set that expectation on yourself, they're going to continue to behave in their normal ways too. What this does is it kind of puts up a wall in front of them that they can't get past anymore now. And then they have to sit back and go, well, either I need to change my behavior and the way I'm looking at this, or I guess I'm not going to have a relationship with that person. Yep. And, and then they get to make their choice. It definitely creates an opportunity for them to look at <laughs> in another way. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which is, which is, you know, Again, the hope, there's, there's no guarantee, but that's the hope. Right. Okay. And again, it's, uh, it's really difficult ground, which is why I think it's really important that we have people around us that are safe enough to tell the truth to about how we feel about that. Yes. And, and sometimes you might not, and some of the ladies listening might not have that safe person. But I would say you do in a blank sheet of paper. Oh, so true. The power of writing things down. Yes. Amazing. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, I think a very crucial part of the grieving process because when you start writing that stuff down, it, 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 it does a couple things. It, it honors its reality, right? It honors the pain of it. And it, and it also values you grief is a way to value yourself because what you're saying is I am valuable enough that I'm not going to say that this doesn't hurt. Right. 
instead of the old training of it doesn't matter how I feel doesn't matter what happening to me doesn't matter. No, what's happening to you matters a lot. Yeah. And so when you start writing it down and getting honest about it, and I, I talk about when you do those writings, one of the rules I have is no editing. If it's, mm. if it's expletive after expletive, then the fine, <laughs> just put it down <laughs> because the goal of the, the documentation isn't for you to figure it out or understand it. It's for you to break the pattern of suppression Yeah, and to see what's happening and then to be able to look at it honestly. And when you write it down in two weeks, it's exactly the same as when you wrote it down, but in your head, it's never the same. Yep. So you start to gain context, um, but it's really hard uh, because it, it, it does bring reality into focus and that usually leads to more grief. Yep. But I'm just telling you from experience, if you do that on the other side, you have a chance at, I don't know, living free. <laughs> yep. Okay, so I'm going to, this is a great segue into two things. Number one, I'm going to do a shameless plug for my book and workbook. And then after Good. that, Patrick, I want you to tell us what you are doing and putting together to help um, survivors as well. So first of all, okay, because this is a perfect, uh, so the workbook that so many of you are familiar with my book, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage. But I just finished creating a workbook with 11 chapters that actually asks you questions that helps you do exactly what Patrick just described. It gets you writing things down. So these questions are very, um, they will give you, it, when you answer these questions, you will have incredible insights into what you're going through, into how you think, into how the people around you are thinking. And you're going to have some, a lot of really big aha breakthrough moments when you go through mm -hmm. this workbook. So it's not ready yet, but it'll be ready in October or awesome. uh, probably, probably not till the beginning of November. Um, but as far as what you're doing, Patrick, why don't you tell us what you kind of what your vision is and where you're headed? Um, you're so, not with the Dove TV anymore, are you? Um, no, it's not that I'm not with them. I'm just not, I haven't been on. I'll probably go on in the next couple, three months and um, do a couple of shows with them. Um, but what I have been working on is rebranding myself. Um, you can go to my, my new website, patrickdoyle.life. And if you want to, there's a place where you can sign up for email to keep up to date with what's happening. Also, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and there's, you know, those platforms are all a little different. You get a little different um, content based on the platform. Okay. Um, so the other thing that I'm working on is uh, I'm going to be doing an emotional abuse membership site. Okay. Tell us more about that. So I've been putting together um, lots and lots of videos of my content remade from the Dove and remade uh, in my way, not not with someone else's platform. Um, and I'm going to oh, be Oh, so that guy's not going to be interviewing you anymore? Why no. do I never remember his name? Perry. Perry. Oh. Did you like Perry? Well, I... <laughs> Actually, I did only because I thought I actually he made me laugh. He he made me yeah. laugh because he he sort of represented the um the typical Christian response yes. to things. So it was yes. like perfect. Yes, it was like and the Perry, perfect setup for you. And, yeah, it, he was. And Perry's a beautiful man. I love him deeply. Yeah, he's, he's a good soul. Um. So anyway, in in my membership site, uh, I'm going to give you a pathway 
from the beginning all the way through to the end to freedom. And it's going to be through video mostly. And there will be a community site where you can interact. And I'm going to be managing that, which is something that I think is going to be really valuable in the long run for ladies to come to a place that has some oversight and some interaction. It's not just the ladies trying to figure it out. For years, I you know, was involved in self-help support, AA, NA, and those meetings are great and wonderful, but they don't, they, they, each meeting only has the strength of the people that's in it because everyone's trying to recover. It's self-help right. support. So this membership site is going to have um, uh, management, people that are coaches that understand me looking at it so that we keep the, um, the forums and the interactions in a therapeutic movement instead of it getting, you know, difficult and bogged down. Right. So, yeah. So that's coming probably by the end of the year. Okay. Well, that's so everyone who is interested in that needs to really get on your, on your uh, mailing list so that they can yes. hear about that. Yes, exactly. And, and, and in not the too distant future, I, I would like for you to return the favor and come do some stuff with me for, for that. I would love to. That would be totally my honor. And by the way, those of you who are listening, I will make sure to include all the links that Patrick just mentioned in the show notes. So you can find those. If you're listening to this on your phone or your iPad or something, you can find, all you have to do is go to flyingfreenow.com, click on the podcast link in the menu bar, and go to episode 38, right? Did I say 38? Yeah, this is going to be episode 38. Yep. And, um, and then that, that will have, it'll have the show notes. There'll be a transcript. You can download the transcript and read and underline or whatever you want to do with it. And you can also click on the links and go directly to all the places that Patrick just told you about. Mm, so good. I, I just want to say, you know, I'm really grateful, Natalie, that you, um, are doing this. Uh, I see the value of it and, um, I hear about the value of it from other women that I am involved with and, I just want to validate what you're doing and hope that you will continue to uh, be a light and a safe place for a lot of uh, women who are hurting. Well, thank you. I love doing this. I love it. It's my passion. I'm so excited. And I'm really excited to work with you, actually. It's so, I mean, <clears throat> obviously. Now we got to do a conference. Oh, that, oh my gosh, that would be so awesome. Yeah, that would be amazing. All right. right. (laughs) We got to let these people go. Okay. Um, But uh, so anyway, thank you, all of you who are listening. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you, Patrick. You're welcome. um, Until next time, fly free.